Today's episode is brought to you by Capital One Spark Business. Whether it's your first day at the new headquarters or another day getting payroll out by the first, Capital One works seamlessly as your partner, credit card provider, and business bank. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Monique Bernstein, the founder of Universal Yums. Are you curious what Universal Yums is? Well, take a listen to this episode. She created an amazing business literally out of an idea she had with her partner and co-founder. Cut to now $25 million company selling amazing, yummy things from all around the world. I got a box and guess what? My kids freaked. So take a listen to this episode. Today's guest is Monique Bernstein, the founder of Universal Yums. Welcome. Thank you. Before we get started, what is Universal Yums? Okay. Well, my partner and I, his name is Eli. I'm sure I'll be talking about him a lot. He came up with the name, and we were trying to come up with a name that would be very explicit about what we sold. So I'll just give the listeners a pause to think about what Universal Yums is and see if it worked. It is a subscription box. We send a box of snacks and candies from a different country every month. And the idea is there are yums in the world that are universally yummy. Everyone would like them if they tried them. So what gave you and Eli this idea? The short answer is I studied abroad in China in my senior year of college, and that experience really fundamentally changed who I was as a person, and I wanted other people to get a little taste of that sort of transformation that happens when you explore other cultures. The much longer story is that, like, that inspiration of studying abroad in China was just a moment in time, and um, it wasn't like I had that experience and then was like, I'm going to go start this company. I was working a corporate job in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it was my dream job out of college. I was doing market research for Procter & Gamble, and um, I discovered about two years in that I was super unhappy with my dream job that I wanted. And so I was doing what a lot of people do when they don't like their job. I was surfing the internet all day at work. And There was a blog that I came across. There was a guy named James Altucher, and he had a lot of crazy ideas that I really clung on to. But the biggest one was creativity is a muscle. It needs to be exercised. And he suggested that you come up with 10 ideas every single day. Every day? Yes. And so business ideas or just any idea, like how you could be a, you know, nicer person to your neighbor, like anything. But um, I was always coming up with business ideas, and they kind of never stuck until this one day I came up with parameters around my idealist, which was it had to be something I could start in a day. So it had to use my existing capital, which was not very much money at all, and my existing skill set. And I made this list of 10 ideas. I was sitting with Eli at dinner, and uh, I read him off the list, and he was like, what was number five? I'm going to work on that with you. And I was like, great, free labor. This is awesome. Um, And that idea eventually turned into Universal Yums. So you're at dinner, and Eli wants to come up, wants to do this idea with you. Like, I think there's a common thread through a lot of my interviews of, like, what was the game-changing moment where – you had the idea. He thought it was a great one. And then you go, uh, cut to today, you have this company and this box and you source all these things. And how long did it take to do that for you? We came up with the uh, I, like final idea. The original idea that I actually pitched to Eli was not quite Universal Yums. That happened probably a month later. And it was, you know, all sorts of constraints of like, what what do we think actually would make a business model feasible for us with the amount of capital we had, um, which was 
$8,000. We each put $4,000 into the business. Um, so it was like, okay, we have to find something that's going to have low overhead. We have to find something that like we can do with just our own brain power. Um, we couldn't really hire anybody at that point. So I would say from like the actual alignment on the idea to launch, it was about a three-month period of us just like moonlighting. I mean, this was something we worked on when we came home from work every weekend. We had just started dating. So it was like this like kind of honeymoon stage of like we were spending a ton of time together, but we were also working towards this common goal. And both of us really didn't want to stay at our jobs. So it was a very like aligned mission to actually see something through. I think for a lot of people, I can definitely empathize with this thought you want to do something, but you don't really have the accountability to actually like, you know, keep working at 530 after you've worked a full day. Um, And so Eli and I kind of gave that accountability to each other. Like I would come home from work and he would already be in my apartment and I'd be like, how was work today? And he'd be like, what do you mean? Work's just starting. Like it was a good way to like stay accountable to each other. And did it make it awkward in your dating relationship? You're like, oh my God, I'm starting a business. Like what if I turn out not to like him? Well, we drew up an operating agreement um, before the business went live. So we kind of like had to had have some discussions about, okay, if we broke up, we would still own the business 50-50 and there were like buyout clauses and just like- Smart. Yeah, <laughs> things that we felt we needed to do in order to feel like we could look at both projects, our relationship and our business independently. That is very smart. I I had, I didn't go into business with a guy I was dating once, but he had a room opening in his apartment and I was like, oh, we're dating. It's definitely going to work out. We're getting married and I'll do the room. And I rented the room and he broke up with me and then told me I couldn't have the room in the same sentence. Oh, no. And I was basically homeless in New York City for oh my a, gosh. a while. So I think it's very smart that you did that. You did that. Yeah, for the fringe cases. <laughs> just, <laughs> just those extreme scenarios where you're like, hey, mom and dad, I have nowhere to live. Yikes. Um, so what? how big is Universal Yums today? Where do you sell? Who's your customer? Uh, yeah, so Universal Yums will do um, $21 million in revenue this Holy year. Holy shit. <laughs> and you can't see Monique's face, obviously, you're listening. You look like you are under 25. Are you under no, 25? No, I'm 30. Okay. Phew. I was going to really I'm just glad. go my, crawl My in a vitamin hole. C is working. Your vitamin C <laughs> is definitely working because like 21 million, that's fucking huge. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're really pumped about it. Like, especially because be. we started it with $4,000 each. We've never taken any outside investment. We have never had a bank loan. So we've been very focused on growing it profitably the entire time. So it's been like stepping stones to get here. Um, I think you know, the reason why we were able to grow it profitably is because we have really focused on a particular market. My whole objective with starting this company was that people would be more educated about other cultures. And that was from my own personal experience. I went to China and I just like didn't even know how to use chopsticks. I was like this really like bratty, spoiled Midwestern girl. Like, where are the hamburgers? <laughs> like I was I was very uneducated about other people in the world. And I thought that my perception of the world was the most accurate one. And I really wanted people to interact with our product, have a really, really fun experience of trying new foods and then take something away from it. They could kind of like tuck in their pocket and say like, oh, I'm actually learning about these countries I see on TV. I'm actually like a little bit more engaged in being um, a global citizen rather than just an American. And, um, you know, I think that's why our product has stuck. We have a booklet that goes inside each of the boxes that is eight pages in the smallest one, 20 pages in the largest box. So I think that had 
a big impact in reaching a lot of families who wanted to educate their children about different cultures and then, um, you know, learn something for themselves. So what do you think your secret has been? Because the subscription box industry has not been without turmoil and clearly you're growing and thriving and the fact that you've never taken money is incredible. So what do you think, what do you credit that with? So I think like one thing that we have done since the beginning, and it's kind of been a philosophy that has evolved um, over time, is thinking about ways to add value to something um, without adding cost. So when we started the business, we needed void fill in the box. And you know, void fill? It's like tissue paper to make sure the contents don't move around. So we could have chosen like a white tissue paper. No one would have cared. But instead, it was like, let's buy tissue paper that is the color of the flags that we're going to, and let's shape the tissue paper so it looks like the flags. So we were like making like intricate, you know, Union Jacks when we did the UK box. And I think not to say that's like this this reason for our success, but I think customers can tell when you really put a lot of effort into what you're trying to do. And not only that, when you create value in ways that don't add cost, it keeps you profitable and it keeps your product very, very cohesive so that a customer doesn't just see, oh, they threw a bunch of candy in a box. They see like, wow, this is really put together. This is really a whole experience. I can tell that someone thought about this. And I think those small touches, you know, they won't get you to 21 million, but they certainly will help. So what have been some unexpected challenges in this journey? And how how many years have you been in business? Five years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. I think the unexpected challenges come from lack of experience. Like everything that I can draw upon and say, oh, that was a big, big problem for me. I think hopefully now would be less of a problem. And I'm sure there's things coming up in the future that will really flatten me, but I just can't see them yet. In 2016, after two years in business, and we had quit our corporate jobs after we had 900 customers and we could cover our $465 a month rent. We decided to move to New Jersey, and that move from Cincinnati, Ohio, to New Jersey was massive in terms of our finances. We were very nervous about the increased cost of living. And so when we got here, we decided we were going to get a warehouse. And rather than get a nice warehouse, we got the worst warehouse in the market. And I think we like were thinking very short term of like, well, if, you know, the business doesn't grow as quickly as we want it to. We want to still be profitable. We have to cover our, our living expenses here. We would like to hire people. So let's not put a lot of overhead on the books. But that turned out to be a really big problem because we couldn't hire anybody. No one wanted to come work in this like really <laughs> crappy warehouse. So like looking back, obviously, I would make a different decision knowing that I knowing now what I know. But I could not have even, like, I thought I was making the right decision. It was like, oh, I'm so smart. Like, yes, not a lot of overhead, but there were unintended consequences that um, you only get when you have experience. I so value that because we've taken shortcuts before in our business and they're always the most detrimental. And so now I'm always trying to look at like, what's the long view? Let's look two years out. Let's look, let's look five. Mm -hmm. Let's just live on the edge of our mm-hmm. seats because these short-term decisions to save money on shipping ended up caught like, yeah, we had a scenario where we thought we were saving three million or, you know, a million and it cost us three. Yeah. So it was like, oh, cool. That didn't work. Yeah. Why weren't you there to like warn me? <laughs> I really appreciated it. <laughs> the problem with all these decisions is you don't know anyone who's there to warn you and you probably won't listen to them. It's like when you date a bad guy, right? Yeah. So how big is the team now? 
Um, we have 37 employees. Wow. About half of them are in the warehouse. Um, we have our own fulfillment in-house, and then the rest are in the office. So do you ever find, being that you are beyond youthful, that like, how do you manage a team and how do you manage people that are older than you and or who are like, hey, 30-year-old girl, I'm 60 and I know better than you? Or does that not happen? Oh, it definitely happens. I, I wouldn't even say they're wrong. Like, I, I would say that I'm still very much on my journey to learn how to be a manager. I started the business, like, with one singular goal, and it was like, I want to write the booklet that goes inside the box. Like, I was so excited about the booklet. Like, that was my, my like this is going to be awesome. I'm going to research all the countries and I'm going to like write about them in like the best way possible. People are going to be so interested in like trying the products after they read my amazing booklet. And that was like as far as I thought about it. I didn't think like, oh, in year five, you're definitely not going to be writing this booklet. You're going to be managing people. You're going to have to learn how to deal with a lot of different personalities, including your own. So I think I've been on the journey to figure out like how do I balance what I originally really loved about the business Business with the reality of what the company needs today. So I, th I still think I'm very much on that journey of how to um, make it clear that I'm the leader of the business while also respecting that other people are coming in and they're going to feel that this is part of their story too. And I want to give them the opportunity to make their mark on the business while they're with us. Hi guys, I hate to interrupt this episode, but I have to do an ad and it's for myself. I love doing this podcast. I love interviewing these women. So what I'm asking you to do is support me. If you are in the market for a beautiful bag or some wonderful apparel or shoes, buy Rebecca Minkoff. And if you need to buy a gift for someone, think of me. It always helps. It keeps the business going. And I would love to see you wearing your beautiful Rebecca Minkoff products. You can hashtag YRM. And thank you for the support. How have you bucked the trend? Because... I would say 90% of the people I encounter or meet uh, are fundraising. They're okay operating, at, operating their company at a loss, um, grow, 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 take on a lot of debt. Um, we didn't build our company that way. It wasn't an option, you know, when I was coming up. And so how did you decide to just stay your course, have a great successful company and like you and Eli own it? Eli and I always said we would rather own 100% of something like than 10% of something. So I'd rather own 100% of a $20 million business than 10% of a $200 million business. For us, it was this, like, we were working corporate jobs. We knew what it was like to have bosses. It felt like if we ever raised money, we were going to be in that situation again. Um, and so I think we were just, that was, like, always very, very clear in our minds of we're not going to raise like, we're going to grow it profitably, and we don't care. I mean, we have aggressive plans for the business, but I think we would rather stand on our own two feet and say, like, we're going to do it totally on our own um, than, than we would take funding. I think we just looked at that from the beginning of, like, we don't want anyone telling us <laughs> what to do. We don't want anyone to feel like they have control over something that we put years of sweat, sweat equity into, especially, like, today. It's like, uh, yeah, you weren't there for the first five years when we were like plunging toilets and, you know, doing really, really terrible jobs for the business. So we put our sweat equity in, we're, we're getting it out. And so what are some of the goals you have for the business that you're excited about? Well, I love developing new products. We just came out with a new product um, over Halloween. So it was like a pick your treat experience. So we um, let trick-or-treaters pick between six different candies from six different countries. Um, so we're, 
we have built out a massive supply chain and we're really focused on how to bring that to life in new ways outside of the subscription box. Obviously, candy is a impulse category. I actually was an intern at Hershey in college and I would build like little displays in the grocery stores trying to sell more candy. And I realized that most candy is purchased physically. So we are um, actually launching our first ever brick and mortar store next year in our hometown and our offices are going to be on top of it. So uh, Eli and I are like pumped. Wait, back in Ohio? Um, No, in Montclair, New Jersey, where we live today. And we're like really pumped. We have, we're like, we're going to make the coolest candy store in the entire world. <laughs> like, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So I think we're excited about that. We're excited about how to bring to life more concepts outside of the subscription box. That's all I'm going to say for now. If there's any Universal Yums customers listening, they're like, I have like lots of great, great things coming your way. Because so. you have to write down 10 ideas a day. Yes. I still work on this. I still do. Do you have a journal where you keep these 10 ideas? I have lots of journals. I'm sure you do at yeah. this point. Yeah. I, I journal every single day. So it's a, uh, it's like, I think I have like 14 now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I have a deep regret of not journaling. Like I feel like I miss so much. I missed out on so much that I'm never going to go back and you read. You can start it today. I could. <laughs> so a lot of the, a lot of the listeners I've noticed have like these struggles and the inspiration to keep going and you're a huge inspiration, not only because you're young and you have a thriving, successful business, but you've also done it somewhat unconventionally. What do you think helps propel that positivity that we're just going to keep going no matter what? We're going to not go the normal course? Do you want like the truthful answer? Yes. Okay. I think money is, you cannot subtract that out of it. Like I wish I had like a super inspirational, like. It doesn't have to be. Money is inspirational. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, when Eli and I realized, the f- so the first year in business that we um, were running it, it was just the two of us. We did $700,000 in sales. And that was like, pew, like our minds were blown. It was like, we are making more money than we made at Procter & Gamble. If we play our cards right, we could go do this for a couple years, and then we would never have to work again. I could write booklets all day long if I wanted to. So I think that was a very, very inspiring idea to us of, like, you see people who work their entire lives to retire at 60. I mean, living in China, I definitely realized I was, like, super, super lucky. I was, like, the 1% luckiest person in the world. And I think, like... When we caught on Universal Yums and we saw an idea that would work, it was like, okay, let's just play our luck like as far as we can because if we make a certain amount of money from this, it will be transformational to our lives and how we're going to think about the rest of our lives. So that was like a big, big um, part of what motivated us for, for the first couple years. I think right now we're in a stable position. So the motivation has to change. And I think for for me, the motivation is really like, I have an opportunity right now to do a lot more with this platform that I have created. And I want the business to continue to exist beyond me being there every single day. Like I have employees, I have customers. I think it's like actually doing something good in the world. I'm hoping that a lot of kids will remember in like 20 years, like, did you get those Universal Yums boxes? Me too. And they were so fun. Like, I really hope that it makes a younger generation a little less nationalistic than what we're seeing in our climate today. Um, So I think I'm like motivated by those ideas of 
outside of my own personal wealth journey, because I've, I've been on that, I had to find something beyond it. And, I, and that's what I'm focused on right now. It's amazing. I'm so impressed. I think it's awesome. Do you find that, I don't want to say, I keep feeling like I'm like the old lady, a 38-year-old, <laughs> like in my generation, founders sacrifice. Like we didn't pay ourselves. We, you know, I went without because everything had to feed the business. Did you have that moment or when you when you made that 700000 were you like, I'm going to be smart about this. I'm going to pay myself enough to not feel like I'm sacrificing all the time. We definitely like haven't like gone on a spending spree. Um I think I don't mean that. Yeah. I mean like so many founders are like the last ones to feed themselves. No, we I think we looked like realistically of like how much should we be taking to live comfortably? Yeah. And like let's not have lifestyle creep here. Like let's think about how much money we really want to spend every year and let's take that out and then the rest will go to the business. I mean, it, it's a symbiotic relationship. Is If the business isn't helping us, then we're not going to help it. So, I mean, we paid ourselves after the first year. The first year we didn't pay ourselves. And then after that, um, we did. But I think like we sacrificed with our labor and our hours um, more than like if you looked at our like hourly wage, it would have been like six dollars an hour like it was we were definitely not getting what we could have been compensated outside of the business totally so how did you live that first year we were in cincinnati and we were 465 dollars a month in rent we moved in together yeah we would like go get the lunch special and then box up like the rest to eat for dinner like we were just living really frugally that's how you do it yeah yeah totally i mean i i just bought a new car and it's like you know i was driving a 13 year old car for the first five years of the business, we just bought a house. Right. So it's just, it's been like progress over time. I definitely wouldn't have felt comfortable like making a big purchase like that first year. Yeah. So you're five years in, clearly you're still together. It's working. Um, I get asked all the time, you know, what is it like to have your co-founder be your brother? And do you fight? And I can only imagine what it's like to have your partner in bed and in business be that person. So how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey. I mean, when we, <laughs> when we started and we had just started dating, I think we like moved out of the honeymoon phase super quickly because yep. it was like, uh, this is when it gets real. And it takes, it has taken us a long time to learn how to work together. Um, we're both like very, very strong people. And so if we were going to like fit into traditional, like, well, you make, you know, we, we balance each other out. Like, nope, everything has been a conflict and we've had to like learn how to deal with that conflict. We kind of like talk about it in a, in a sense of like, if there's like a stone, we're like constantly flipping it over until we both like the location of it. Every decision in the business has been a fight. And now at five years, maybe we get to a point where I'm like, okay, that sounds good. But it's because he's, he and I have had enough conversations that I don't need to understand like his layers of thinking of why he's making that choice. I already get it, but it took us five years to get there. And every so often we still run into a little roadblock where it's like, oh, we are seeing this really differently even after five years of running this company together. So you better bring up your best debate skills because we're about to go at it with each other for a while. <laughs> and then does that cut, does that bleed into your personal? 
Yeah, but I think it's like it's a it's a positive for the personal for sure. Like we have very aligned goals for our lives. Like we have seen each other through this experience in a way that like if I were outside of the business or he would were outside of the business, I don't think we would have understood each other's motivations. I think it carries over in a positive light to our relationship because we're we've kind of like learned how to fight because of the business. And so now in our personal lives, if there's a conflict, it's like, okay, let's use that same tool that we came to decide whether or not to hire this person and let's apply that to, you know, should we buy this house or not? So who's your support system outside of him? He's a really big one. Um, I think my sister is my biggest support. Like she, she's the older sister. And I think there's always like a, oh, are you like competitive with your sister? And she like is the best person in the entire world. She's like 10 times better than me. She supports everything I do. I found this old email that I had sent her when we were like just starting the business. And I was like, I'm going to design my own logo. Look at it. And she was like, it looks awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So having someone like that, who's just like, everything you do is really great. Like, you know, also sometimes what you do is not so great and like be a little self-aware, like just having that person in my corner is, is just really special. So do you have a favorite country and or a favorite snack? I feel like bad answering the country question. It's like favoring them, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like what I'm trying not to do in the world. Okay, fine. So what's your what's your favorite snack? You can keep the company and uh, the country anonymous. Okay, so my oh god, this is like really hard as well. But um, we are okay. I have two. I love these spicy mango gummies from Spain. Ooh, they're so flavorful and they have a little bit of heat. They're like the perfect combo. And they're fat-free. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, Is that in my box? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Okay. And then um, there was an apple strudel wafer that we tried from Austria uh, two years ago. And I have, like, fought with this company of, like, this apple strudel wafer is, like, the best thing in the world. Like, can we please – can you please make it again? And I was just able to convince them, and it's going in our holiday box this year. So Better stock will up. Get, yeah, everyone will get my, like, beloved apple strudel wafer, and I'm really pumped about it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So one thing I like to ask all my guests is um, something we'd be surprised to know about you. I think people would probably be surprised that I still eat every single sample that comes – through the doors. Like you would think I would get sick of it by now, but I'm still pretty interested in it. I'm like, ooh, like la- the other day we tried asparagus potato chips. Like I'm not turning that down. I have to try no, it. No, that sounds delicious. Yeah. What is some advice that either someone gave you that you were like, taking this one, gonna put this in my in my arsenal or anything you've learned that you'd love to pass on? I think the best advice I got was from Eli and he's gonna be like, Uh, you're too obsessed with this advice, but it was very helpful to me. Um, When we started the business, we were like, I was super nervous about my $4,000 going away. I was like, my $4,000 at the time was like 25% of my net worth. I was like, this is, I've worked hard for my $4,000. Yes, you have. So Eli told me to think about it like a college course. He was like, you're not happy in the direction you're going. You don't like your career. You've spent you know, I had gone to a five-year program in college and he was like, you spent five years working towards that, spend $4,000 more on yourself, make an investment in yourself. And no matter what happens, you're going to learn something and it'll be worth that. And I think um, anytime, like it was a good motivation to like take the leap because I could rationally agree that yes, $4,000 was a good way to invest in learning. And I think that scales as the business has scaled. Like 
we just launched our Halloween box and it wasn't $4,000 that we put up. It was more than $4,000, but it was still that same principle of like, we're going to learn from this. So we're going to put up the money and then we're going to make sure we take a lesson from it, whether it works out or it doesn't work out. Like it helps me get over the hurdles. And I think it would also probably help others that are deciding how to weigh you know, how much they should be putting into something. If you feel like it's too much money, then you're, and like, there's no way the money would be worth the lesson you're going to get, then maybe don't do it. But um, if you feel like no matter what, the value of what I'm putting up is worth the lesson I'm going to get from it, I'm going to be able to take something really valuable away from it, then it's always worth it. Tell me where people can find out about it, where they can order, where they can subscribe. Sure. Um, They can go to our website, universalyums.com. Thank you. Thank you. That was Monique Bernstein. For more about her, you can follow her at Universal Yums. Thank you so much for listening. As always, don't forget to rate me wherever you listen to a podcast. Leave a review. I do read them all. 